So here we are. Welcome, everybody, to Mumford and other observations. We are Bridget Gamboni, Elizabeth Russell, T.S. Russell, and Claire Fletcher joining you today for the episode on Drumroll, please. Tim Shell. It's a song by Mumford and Sons. You may have heard of them. And we're going to be talking about it. And we're going to be talking about a lot about this book, East of Eden, which we brought up on our last episode, but we'll be going more in depth into it today. Um, super excited about that. A lot of uh, connections between this book and this song. So without further much ado, let's uh, dive into things. And Bridget, you want to read off the lyrics for us? Yes, I would love to. Cold is the water, it freezes your already cold mind. Already cold, cold mind. And death is at your doorstep, and it will steal your innocence, but it will not steal your substance. But you are not alone in this, you are not alone in this. As brothers we will stand and will hold your hand. You are the mother, the mother of your baby child, the one to whom you gave life. And you have your choices. These are what make man great, his ladder to the stars. But you are not alone in this. You are not alone in this. As brothers, we will stand and will hold your hand. But I will tell you the night and whisper, lose your sight. But I can't move the mountains for you. And there you have it, folks. There's the lyrics for Tim Shell by Mumford and Sons. It's a great song. It's a very slow, quiet song. Of course, it gets a little bit loud at the end, but not as much as some of their other songs that start off slow and then get loud. This one's pretty quiet most of the time. It's really nice. It's kind of like a lullaby. Next, what we'll do is the uh, No Fear Mumford prose translation of the lyrics. And so, because the lyrics aren't that long, this is not going to be that long either. So, the lyrics, more or less in plain English, go like this. Your mind is numb and growing number. You're in danger of death, but even death can't harm your soul. We, your brothers, will help you through this. Remember that we're not the victims of fate. We have the power to make our own decisions, to choose to be great and virtuous. Your child has that power as well. We, your brothers, will help you through this. I will stand up to the darkness for you, but I can only do so much. I can't move mountains for you. So that is what is happening in this song on a literal level. It's uh, the speaker or speakers are brothers talking to their sister. I don't know that they that it like directly correlates to characters from East of Eden, but there are definitely a lot of themes that um, correlate well with that book. A lot of themes in both this song and that book that correspond to each other. So, um, what's the deal with East of Eden then? What is this book that Tim keeps talking about and won't, won't shut up about? Well, it's written by John Steinbeck, who is most well known for writing The Grapes of Wrath and Of Mice and Men. Um, but in my opinion, East of Eden is his best novel. He wrote it late in his life. It's um, pretty long. Uh, it's very sprawling, covers a lot of different characters and um, long span of time and covers the whole United States coast to coast. And it's just, it's super good. So 
Steinbeck combines his masterful prose with gripping character descriptions, profound insights into human nature, and a multi-generational story of epic proportions. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> drawing inspiration from the stories of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and Jacob and Esau, the story is in some ways a modern retelling of the book of Genesis, taking place during the first half of the 20th century. It tells the story of Adam Trask, who moves from his family home in Connecticut to California, where his wife abandons him and he is left with his two twin sons. With the help of his servant Lee, he raises the two boys, who struggle not to fall into the stereotype of Cain and Abel, largely because of Adam's own strained relationship with his brother, who once tried to kill him. Meanwhile, their mother becomes the head of a local brothel, but the young boys have no idea if she's even still alive. As the boys grow older and one begins a relationship with a young woman, they struggle to overcome the darker parts of their souls, especially the negative traits they've inherited from both of their parents. So, a lot going on in this book. This is a, That's like a super bird's eye view of what happens in the novel, because it covers, like I said, it covers a lot of ground. But, uh, I think that synopsis covers like the majority of what um, what this song deals with anyway. So we'll go ahead and jump into the line-by-line -line analysis of the lyrics, unless anybody has any observations so far. This is Mumford and other observations as mm -hmm. well, so any other observations? Mm -hmm. I'll just say I have not liked East like Steinbeck until I read East of Eden. I read uh, The Red Pony. Or something like that? Yeah, that's one of those. Yeah. I, you read yeah. of Mice and Men too, right? And Mice and Men. Like, which I is okay. That. But it's so <laughs> depressing. Like, it's so depressing. Yeah. Okay, I have two special needs siblings. I like get really cranky about some of the moments in that book. Yeah. Yeah. No spoilers. Not for me. <laughs> yeah, so I I just didn't really enjoy, I'll say that. I didn't enjoy Steinbeck yeah. until I read East of Eden. And now, even though it is sad and everything, like, there's a great chapter where he's like, as you can tell, reader, we have now reached the 19th, or the 20th century. And he goes, there's just a whole chapter where he talks about the 20th century mm -hmm. and what people expected it to be, what it actually was, what people's expectations made it into, and how they, like, idealize the past or idolize the future or criminalize the past or criminalize the future like all these things it was really in-depth and like cool and I was like somebody needs to do this for the 21st century it was really I liked it so mm. he's very he's I think he reached like a point where he was very insightful mm -hmm. when did he this. write it 53 I think F 1953 yeah okay. and it was like the end of his life he had time right? to like reflect yeah. before Most like the, the details life, yeah before yeah. the details are forgotten for the early part of the century, but right. like after it's like far enough away that it's like 2020 vision, you know, of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Bridget? I mean, nothing other than what I might have said last time about Little Lion Man, about how it is sounding like Genesis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, Steinbeck is very obviously drawing from Genesis mm -hmm. for East of Eden. The characters themselves even talk about how they're like, oh, wow. Adam, your story is kind of like Adam in Genesis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So there's definitely that going on. And I think that itself sheds a lot of light on this album when you realize that it has connections to the book of Genesis as well. We really got into that on the Little Lion Man episode, which I recommend everybody watch if you haven't watched it yet um, before watching this episode, because we'll be building off of that. Also makes me think of um, the Oh Hellos have the album yeah uh, through the deep dark through valley, the deep dark valley. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's just a genesis and a literal genesis story 
but I feel like Mumford really draws on like those themes. Yeah. I'm oh I'm obsessed with Genesis. I can't yeah. wait. I wanna I wanna go in line by line. I'll jump in. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so first line is cold is the water, it freezes your already cold mind. Already cold, cold mind. So we have the word cold four times. So I think he's really trying to emphasize that it's cold. Chilly. Um, a frozen tundra kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I think the word cold is it sort of it symbolizes numbness here right that mm. you're feeling you feel dead inside and something about this water you finding yourself in deep water and it's cold all you're you were already feeling kind of dead inside now you feel like it's just sapping all of the life out of you so you're in a really tough spot here but also let's not forget that in scripture and hence in mumford and sons water always has baptismal connotations mm -hmm. right so whether that's with noah and the flood or with literal baptism there's always that that idea of being plunged into the water and then coming up reborn i would uh, highly suspect that there's some of that going on in this mumford and sons song also that uh, somehow even though she's finding herself in this really terrible place somehow it's going to uh, work out for her redemption and her rebirth in one way or another. Well, what leads to that conclusion? Um, what, you said that she thaws, or what, what, what gives the hope? The fact that water has baptismal connotations in scripture and hence in Mumford and Sons. Yeah, the spirit moving over the water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, even just that. Certainly Genesis, you know, in particular. Exactly. Genesis is the key to all of this. Mm -hmm. Like Jar Jar Binks in The Phantom Menace. Genesis is... Alright, forget I said that. We're gonna move on. <laughs> um, just want to point out real quick that we talked, um, I think it was the last episode, about the word mind and the different times that it comes up on this album. So I think we'll, we'll save it for... save a more in-depth in discussion of that for another song or another episode. Um, but uh, it is interesting to look at the different times that the word mind comes up and sort of look at the image or what, what the, how the image of mind develops over the course of the album and the different connotations that are added to it and built up around it. And of course, that's all going to come to a head in the last song of the album, After the Storm, because as we've been pointing out in the podcast, every episode, After the Storm <laughs> is like, the pinnacle of this album and everything reaches mm -hmm. a climax there. The other thing before we leave this line here is that we are going to see water again in the next song, so just stay tuned for that with Thistle and Reeds. You know, with the cold thing and the numbness, um, just looking at our like modern world and everything, uh, and it's so interesting. I, I found myself at one point with my little brother, Isaiah, and we were at, um, he took me on a little date He's adorable. I know. <laughs> He's 16. Um, he was not, he was a couple years younger at the time, but he had like gotten some birthday money and he, he took me to Blue Bayou, which is like this water park theme park thing down in Louisiana. <laughs> and he was really proud of himself for like being the one to buy the tickets. And it was really cute. Oh my gosh. Salt. Yeah. He's so cute. <laughs> oh so we go and we like, 
you know, we're determined to like ride the rides that no one wants to ride. And so we go to like this one that's just uh, basically going in circles. It's kind of maybe <laughs> an elliptical sort of thing. And the guy like we go up to, you know, he's like, hey, you know, arms and legs and this early, you know, whatever. This is not Six Flags where like everybody's like, be safe and don't die, you know, before you <laughs> go off. It's like the one where they put you in and you're like, don't you know, keep your arms in and stuff, you know, and then you go. And so we're going in a circle and we're like making faces as we go by every time. But every time we go by, we're like, man, that guy looks so bored. You know, we should like entertain him. So we started making faces every time we like made a pass. And the guy is like, he's not on his phone because he's not allowed to be, you know, but he, he's like, staring vacantly like through us every time we go by we're like doing absurd things and like making the most ridiculous faces and at the end we get off and he's like still looking very vaguely through us and um and Isaiah and I just kept walking and you know we like made each other a promise we're like we will never be so existentially bored <laughs> as this man was this young teenager who's like running our ride so depressing so depressing yes. but there is something like if you want a different part of scripture like the indifference right um it, it's the opposite of charity is not hatred actually it's indifference it's one of the you know one of the greatest sins against charity is indifference and i think that that's just so apt to like this like if you're cold if you're dead inside that also means you're apathetic that you just don't care you're jaded you're yeah i i yeah well, in, in Dante's Inferno, when they get to the very center of hell, right, the lowest pit, frozen. Satan's there and he's frozen in ice, mm -hmm. right? Great image. Yeah. And I was thinking that, too, about the water. Like, it's it's cold water, and cold water should wake you up. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's there, you respond differently to cold depending to, to, the, to the temperature of the water depending on the state of your heart. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? If you're warm, you're going to thaw the water. If you... If you need a wake-up call, like, it'll slap you awake. But, like, if you already have a cold heart, then it just it just is going to add to that layer. You're, like, paralyzed. Yeah. You're incapable of movement. Um, yeah. Or being moved, yeah. you know? Yeah. So don't be, don't be cold inside. We don't want that. No. No. Ain't nobody got time for that. So let's move on to the next couple lines. I'm excited about these ones because we're going to have some more Genesis here. So these lines are, And death is at your doorstep, and it will steal your innocence, but it will not steal your substance. So. That's the line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In case you're wondering whether human nature is utterly depraved as a result of the fall. No. No, no. <laughs> no it is not. <laughs> what is it JP2 says that like you are not the sum of the worst things you've ever done? So you're in the sum of the Father's love for you. Yeah. Exactly. At the very center of you, there's something that nobody and nothing can ever take away. Not even you. Not even you, right? You had neither reason nor rhyme with which to take the soul that is so rightfully mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your soul you must keep totally free. Those are other songs on this album. Yeah, no, I did this last time. Your soul and your substance. I know I did this last time related what? to Taylor Swift's song, but this time it's even more apt. To All right. Innocence. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Innocence by Taylor Swift. So, oh. yes. The song is literally almost directly quoting JP2 in his line. I don't know if she did that on purpose or not, but that's basically what the message of the song is. Two right, very different people trying to drive towards the same truth. Yeah, right? the universe of truth. It might be objective. Yeah. yeah. Plot twist, <laughs> folks. So, we already, in another episode, I did gave a, a logical demonstration demonstrating how 
the words soul and substance mean the same thing. So I won't go over that again here. So when it says it will not steal your substance, it means it will not steal your soul, right? Your soul is yours. The really interesting thing about this line is that it's very similar to a line from Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, when the Lord is talking to Cain before Cain decides to kill Abel. And the line goes like this, um, in, in this translation anyway. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. So sin is lurking at your door, right? Death is at your doorstep, and it will steal your innocence. I've read other translations that say something along the lines of sin is a demon lurking at your door. These terms, sin, death, a demon, they're all interchangeable here, right? There's, there's something at the door of Cain's soul that wants to get inside there and steal his innocence. Um, it also wants to steal his substance, but it can't do that. But it can steal his innocence. Yeah. It's kind of like in the Odyssey with, with the sirens. Um, my, one of my friends was teaching a class, and he was, he was talking with his students about it, and he's like, so what do you think the sirens can do? Like, do they appeal only to the one man, or do they appeal to all, or something like that? And um, another song, I don't know if you're familiar with the Grey Havens. Of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is good. All right. So in the Great Haven song Sirens, they talk about the fact that uh, they found a way with the uh, to take what's to take what's good and should be wanted into what is highest above all desires and love. So basically, like twisting things. So it's not that like um, like the innocence that is lost isn't so much your nature, right? Like you are always going to desire the good, right? But now you're desiring a lesser good above a higher good, right? The desire for, I don't know, that 10th cookie or the desire of charity towards your little sister, you know, or something to that effect. Um, there's there's just two different goods in play and you ought to choose the higher one, right? Um, but we don't sometimes because we have disordered passions and desire things in the wrong order. But I think that that's like, so even though we're always going to desire the good, um, and that won't ever change, which is comforting. Uh, at the same time, we still can do things out of order. Mm -hmm. Right, but we have the choice whether or not to do them, right? Exactly. And that brings us to the word Timshell. Mm -hmm. So, if any of you have been wondering what mm -hmm. the title of this song means, Timshell is a Hebrew word that means, uh, as Steinbeck defines it, thou mayest. So, you can, right? And it's used here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, as I read earlier, where the Lord says, its desire is for you, but you must master it. That term, you must, that's Tim Shell. So you must, you may, you can, you have the ability, is what Tim mm -hmm. Shell means. So Tim Shell is all about choice. So this song is all about choice. We'll get to that in the second verse a little bit more. God is all about choice. God is all about choice. <laughs> Cheers, and surprise, yeah. surprise, East of Eden is all about <laughs> choice. So the word Timshell, the reason that we know so much about this word, or that I know so much about it anyway, is thanks to John Steinbeck in East of Eden. He's one of the characters, gets very obsessed with this word. He goes on this long epic journey to try to find out what it means. Um, <laughs> it's great. It says, the Hebrew word, the word Tim Shell, thou mayest, that gives a choice. 
It might be the most important word in the world. That says the way is open. That throws it right back on a man. For if thou mayest, it is also true that thou mayest not. Don't you see? <laughs> so, Wait, which character is that? This is Lee, oh, okay. the Chinese servant. I don't know him yet. Mm. You haven't gotten to him yet? No. He's the best part of this book. <laughs> oh, oh man, he's the coolest. He's so great. He goes on to say a little later, Why, that makes a man great. That gives him stature for the gods. Stature with the gods. For in his weakness and his filth and his murder of his brother, he has still the great choice. He can choose his course and fight it through and win. Right? Yeah. It, can, it will steal your innocence, but it will not steal your substance. Sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. You can master it. So interesting, because like, I, I, okay, another literary reference, Lord of the Rings, can't help myself. Um, just kidding, sorry. So there's a, there's a moment. Just break the ice for all of us. Sorry, so Lord of the Rings, I just can't help it. There's a moment in, okay, yes, the movie. So where, um, which I'm, I love. I'm that's sorry. not a literary reference, that's a film reference. Deal. Wow. Um, so I'm the guy who's doing relevant. the whole podcast around the music. <laughs> okay, for the record, it's in both. I'm pretty sure it's also in the book, but I haven't read the book. Well, I've read it recently, but not recently enough to be absolutely sure. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> there's a moment in there's a moment where you know when Aragorn is going to summon the the dead kings who who are in their ghostly form and whatnot, yes. and it's like the way is shut, the dead keep it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like what you're saying about like the way is open, right? Mm -hmm. Is like the way to freedom, right? The that kind of thing, but like the dead keep the shut way you know mm -hmm. there's like that's just the contrast there i think just comes to mind i don't know if yeah cool. so the whole point is that tim shell is one of the most liberating words you could ever come across right because it means cain has the ability to choose whether or not he's going to kill his brother abel he wasn't destined to do it it wasn't fate that drove him to it in the end he made the decision to do it right so he did not master the sin that was lurking at his door it, it corrupted him. It stole his innocence. He killed his brother. And there's the, the whole thing about, like, death shutting the door. That's Cain can only make that choice while he's on Earth. Right? Like, while he's living, while he's been placed on this path, that's when he can make the choice. Mm -hmm. But once he's dead, the choice has been made. He will have chosen his path. Right. So the whole reason that we're on this Earth is to make those choices, right? right? The choices that are going to set us on the path. Yeah. Whether we're going to create heaven on earth in our own souls or hell on earth in our souls. Wow. Yeah. Right? yeah. That will, it's the great divorce. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even go that direction yet. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that word, Tim, the word Tim Shell shows up in East of Eden, like smack dab in the very center of the book. Like, almost to the page, the exact middle of the book. And it's also, like, at the very end of the book. It's one of the very last lines that's said. Do you think Mumford had, like, some kind of literary course in college that took him through East of Eden? Mumford loves Steinbeck. <laughs> okay? There's no denying that. Between this song, Little Lion Man, and Dust Bowl Dance, like, definitely yeah. big Steinbeck fan. Yeah, Mumford I did not is. know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mentioned him the other day. Yeah. All right. All right. So, okay. I think we got to keep things moving here. Yes. We're going to run out of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. This is all good stuff. All good stuff. Oh, man. Isolation. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> okay, so you are not alone in this. You are not alone in this. As brothers, we will stand and we'll hold your hand. Lots of things here. Um, first of all, lots of brothers in East of Eden. There's Adam and his brother Charles, who, like I said in the introduction, Charles tries to kill Adam early on in the book. And then Charles also might be the father of Adam, the actual father of Adam's children. Um, there's Awkward. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how evident it is in the book. Elizabeth is pretty sure about I it. I mean, I didn't know they were twins. Maybe one of them thought, like, fathered one and it was fathered the other. Because that's how biology works. That would be... Mm, do we know if they're fraternal or... <laughs> right? They're definitely, they're definitely fraternal because they look very different. One takes mm -hmm. a lot after I Adam. don't think it's biologically possible, though. I have oh my no gosh. idea. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we're not going to... This is not a biology yeah. lesson, but... <laughs> One of the twins really takes after Adam. The other twin really takes after Charles. Mm. So there's those brotherly relationships as well. But then there's also the Hamilton children, who we haven't even brought up, the Hamiltons. Uh, they're a key component of the East of Eden story. They're another family. They're an Irish family that lives in California near Adam and his family. And they're just, they're wonderful. They're the best. Mm. Desi Hamilton is my hero. I love her so very much. Um, she has a very sad story, though. Anyway, most people in this book have pretty no sad stories. Point is, this, this image of brothers standing and holding their sister's hand really, like, conjures up the Hamilton children, in oh, my cool. mind. Right? That's very much... Um, very much something that they would do. Um, not so much um, the Trask family. They're, they're a little more troubled. They're all troubled, but um, the Trask is more well, so. They're all human. They're all human. That's, that's their, their mistake then. <clears throat> um, then also there's that you are not alone in this, you are not alone in this, that reiteration of, the, of that... Um, of that line. It's so key because there are so many instances throughout this album of people being alone, people being lonely. So the, there's imagery of that in Winter Winds, Roll Away Your Stone, Little Lion Man, Thistle and Weeds, After the Storm. There's very much a theme of loneliness running throughout this album and it's really interesting to see here that there's, you know, togetherness happening. Um, and that image of holding your hand, that's going to come back in several other songs as well. This song really adds a lot to those themes of hands holding alone and loneliness, brotherhood and sisterhood, those different themes running throughout the album. This song really sort of adds new perspective. Does, on all he, of those ever, does he ever do like a no man is an island kind of thing where he kind of like rebuts the loneliness and the isolation? Well, he does here. Okay, well then let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> well, that, like, the, the part I just read, right? Oh, that, yes. You're not alone in this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's always, like, there's always that promise of that you won't be alone. Um, yeah, the, the album ends with, the album kind of ends in tragedy, but also ends with this, this idea that one day you will not have to suffer alone and you will be, you will be comforted by the presence of someone else. Yeah, because I don't think this is so much a rebuttal of it as it's almost like a contrast. Because, like, you are, you still get the feeling to a certain extent, because they still say in the end, we can't, I can't move mountains for you. Like, right. you, you still know, like, in the end, it is still just you. 
man is an island to some extent. Um, because of the end, it's your hand. choice. Right. Even if I will stand here and hold your hand, uh, you're still alone in that decision. Yeah, there's that there's that tension between also between you being alone and other people supporting you. And I think you see that in the cave a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, roll away your stone also. Yeah. Well, speaking of worshiping Mary, let's, uh, start, let's talk about uh, motherhood. Yeah. All right. I'm down. Verse 2 of Tim Shell by Mumford and Sons. You may have heard of them. You are the mother, the mother of your baby child, the one to whom you gave life. So there's that theme of motherhood. Um, we saw the word mother in the last song, Little Lion Man, right? Learn from your mother or spend your days biting your own neck, so don't make the same mistakes your mother did. I think we talked in the last episode about how Kathy in East of Eden, who is the mother of the twins, is just the worst person very terrible. ever. She's very, very bad. Basically a um, And Really messed up. Yeah. You start and, to wonder if herself, since mine might have been a little gross. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Definitely had her innocence yeah, stolen, that's for sure. Yeah, understatement. Um, but yeah, the, you know, her son, Cal, really struggles not to repeat her mistakes. Um, and so there's there's that going on. But here we have the, the idea of motherhood in a much more positive light, right? Yeah. You're the mother, the mother of your baby child, the one to whom you gave life. So there's that, that mystery of womanhood that you literally created this other person inside of you and brought it forth into the world and that's like that's crazy it's such a happy thing to be inside of such a sad song mm -hmm. like, it it's is. unexpected mm -hmm. it is but i think it ties it ties in with the these next lines the rest of verse two he says and you have your choices these are what make man great his ladder to the stars so there's the implication then that because you have these choices your child does also not only does man inherit sin from his parents but he also inherits tim shell by being part of the human race and so every every mother's son has that power that ability to choose the good or to choose the evil we're not victims of fate oh and i think it's just interesting here that he says these are what make man great not men not mankind but man that I don't know. I get I get excited when I see somebody use the word man in that archaic sense, like the, the traditional way of saying it, uh, of referring to human nature as man. And you're brave to say that in front of three women. I am brave to say that in front of three women, but I trust that you all <laughs> Super duper understand well enough what, yeah. I say, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get into that too much. What I do really want to point out, though, is. Another passage from East of Eden, this is the same scene where Lee is talking about the word Tim Shell. He's talking about old Chinese men and the New Testament and Confucius. And then he says, but this, referring to the word Tim Shell, this is a ladder to climb to the stars. Oh, there you go. So <laughs> that, that's just like a straight up rep, straight up quote, basically. That Tim Shell is a ladder to the stars? Yeah. Okay. So this, like you said earlier, this puts man this gives him stature with the gods, right? Man is a very important thing, maybe more important than a star. This is not theology. I have no bent toward gods, but I have a new love for that glittering instrument, the human soul. 
It is a lovely and unique thing in the universe. It is always attacked and never destroyed because thou mayest. Always attacked and never destroyed, right? Loses its innocence, but not its substance because you have the ability to choose, right? You can choose between good and evil. And so that's, that's really the theme of this, this novel. We have so many wondrous and terrible things going on in this story. Um, and people feel pushed and pulled by all these different, uh, you know, sins of their forefathers or sins of their mothers and all sorts of things like that. But at the end of the day, essential. Essential. Yeah. But you are not alone in this. You are not alone in this. As brothers, we will stand and we'll hold your hand. And then a little bit of a shift in the last three lines of the song. Music changes a little bit, and it's that he says, But I will tell the night, and whisper, lose your sight, but I can't move the mountains for you. So for one thing, here we have first-person singular for the first time, whereas whenever uh, whenever the speaker used first-person earlier, it was always plural. Yeah. As brothers, we will stand, right? We'll hold your hand. Um, but now... It's just one person speaking. I'm not entirely sure what the significance of that is, but that's definitely a shift that happened there. We'll have to dive more into that another time, I guess. But I will tell the night and whisper, lose your sight. So he's saying, assuming here that, he's, that it's still one of the brothers talking to the sister, he says, he's saying that I'll stand up to the darkness for you. I'll confront the night or the darkness and, um, we've seen on this album that the word, the terms night and darkness are basically interchangeable. They're also more or less interchangeable with sin, death, demon, etc. Uh, and whisper, lose your sight. So, what does that mean? well, we've talked about blindness quite a bit, uh, on the album. And I think what it's saying here, I don't know, this kind of confused me for a while, but I think what he's saying is that he'll... He'll address the night, the darkness, and tell that to lose its sight. Okay. So that the darkness itself will go blind. He's not telling his sister to lose her sight. No, I think he's telling it to the darkness, to the night. Um, Yeah. And that's um, a reference to that line from Macbeth that we saw in Roll Away Your Stone, where he said, stars hide your fires. Hide even the little you can see. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this image of making the, the night lose its sight is an image of me protecting you okay. from that darkness. That the darkness won't be able to hurt you because it won't be able to see you. Yeah. You'll be invisible. So I can do that for you, but there's always a but, right? Mm-hmm. I can't move the mountains for you, like we were saying earlier. You may... Right, Tim Shell, thou mayest. You need to make these choices yourself. Mm-hmm. I can't make them for you. Your soul you must keep totally free. Even if I have, you know, faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains, I can't move the mountains that your faith is supposed to move. You have to do that yourself. You need to have that faith. I can't have faith for you. Yeah. It's your own choice because it's your own soul, because you you know, sin and death will not steal your substance. 
you have that substance and you have the, the ability to choose what to do with it. The soul that is so rightfully yours, your soul you must keep totally free. And that's the end of the song. Mm -hmm. So, thoughts? Mm -hmm. Before we talk about what we've learned today. I mean, I just keep thinking about John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II's definition of freedom. Um, freedom is not to do whatever you want, but to know the good and to choose it. Mm -hmm. I think that was John Paul II. I'm pretty yeah, sure. It's older. It's older than him. But yes, he probably I'm quoted sure somebody he, saying I'm sure that. he talked yeah. about it too. Probably Aquinas mentioned this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and just the ability to do other than that which you do, as being freedom you know that ability um how that has to be so informed by by faith by um, by knowing what is good by knowing objectively what is good and mustering up the the courage to choose that just that ongoing struggle that ongoing journey that mountain that that is um, and to overcome you know our own selves <laughs> to overcome to overcome our own selves in this struggle right because i need freedom now mm -hmm. i need to know how to live my life as it's meant to be right yeah yeah that pride mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i keep getting this image so like as the mountain you know i think we have a tendency to inflate the mountain and the night is the same thing to ah. see that the, the journey that we have to make as the same thing as the darkness that is making it a stumbling block and, but the mountain, I mean, Christ ascends the mountain with Peter, James, and John for the um, transfiguration. Like, it's not, that's not an evil place to be, right? It is in Golgotha, but it isn't at the transfiguration. So there's that juxtaposition of, like, the mountain itself is not the evil thing. And, like, my mentor is always giving me, Courtney Young, she's always giving me, like, these images of what, she's like, what summit are you at right now? Like, what's the summit you're reaching now, and what's the next one that's up ahead of you? And like, but there's also, she'll also give me images of like, the Lord is carrying you. He has leveled the playing field. You know, you can, there are so many ways that you can move mountains. So literally like you could just move it. Like it could just disappear. You could also climb it and that's fine. That's a way to move a mountain. Mm -hmm. And there, you can also go around it. You can go through it. There's so many ways like that we get so stuck in like, I can't do this. Because the darkness seems to just put an invisible barrier. Right. The mountain seems so large. I know, like, yeah. like St. Faustina comes to mind. Um, I think she describes in her diary at one point, like, that your sin is like a grain of sand next to the mountain of mercy that is God's, like, <laughs> God's love. And, uh, and of course, in, like, the closing prayer for the Divine Mercy Chaplet, like, God's love is um, your divine will, which is love and mercy itself. Right? That, like, those three all, like, go together. Um which, I don't know, the reason that, I think, I think it's just, because the mountain can seem so large, because we think that that's, like, we're thinking that this mountain is, our, is like, how difficult our sin is, but, like, in the end, that's a fraction of what his mercy is. Right. Because the mountain is the adventure, and the sin is the burden that is light and easy to bear as we ascend it. Well, I think I would, I think I would use the image of, like, the sin is the thing you don't have to bear. That, like, the freedom yeah. is ultimately his yoke. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of Dante in the Divine Comedy, right? At the very beginning of the Inferno, he tries to climb Mount Purgatory. Yeah. But the three beasts stand in, in his way, right? Those are his three main vices. And so he's not able to climb that mountain. And what he ends up having to do is having to 
you know, go back down the mountain and then go through hell <laughs> to the very center to where Satan lives before you can then climb out and then start the, the ascent of Mount Purgatory. Which, full circle, taking it to Lord of the Rings, hey, mines yeah. of Moria because they can't get over Carrie Dress. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> my right. goodness, I wonder if that Dante was just really inspired yeah. by it. Tolkien just this, stole like, everything from Dante. Breathing, the literature thing, the living and breathing <laughs> thing, what's going on right now, it's just like, how, like there's a moment earlier where I'm like, let's do Kingfisher's Catch Fire by Gerard Manley Hopkins too and just talk about like free will in that one. You know, like... <laughs> Man, yeah, it's so interconnected. I think yeah, mm -hmm. the whole idea of truth being one is so true. That's <laughs> kind of the whole so point. Much. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast because yeah. I noticed when I started getting into Mumford and Sons that they were referencing all these literary texts, and I was like, "What's the deal with that? It's all it's all connected somehow. I got to unpack that." And so here yeah. we are. And it makes you so excited to find the truth yeah. in all the different places, you mm -hmm. know. It's like, oh, I recognize that. Like, that's a familiar, it's like a friend yeah. that you're stumbling upon in the middle of a story. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of that truth, let's, it's time to talk about what we've learned today and sort of, got the VeggieTales reference. <laughs> so, what, let's... No, no, we're plagiarizing, not you. <laughs> Let's let's recap that and sort of look back at this song and see what is it that we've learned about human nature from this song because we've gone on quite the you know we, we we've accumulated quite a collection of tidbits of um, insights about human nature from the other song on this album right starting with Sino More where it said that man is a giddy thing and that love will not betray you dismay or enslave you it will set you free be the person you were meant to be. Where where are we now then mm -hmm. on, on that journey? Yeah. Where are we now? Do do we ever think of you in the quiet in the in the crowd? crowd. <laughs> um, I think uh, to Michelle's what we learned. I think I think so. <laughs> Not to jump straight to the crunch <laughs> line. Yeah. You stole my big big reveal. <laughs> Alright. So yeah, I mean that Tim Shell sums it up really well. It's that that that's what's at the center of this song, and this song is fairly close to the center of the album. Um, it's song number eight, so there's four songs after it, six songs before it, so it's kind of kind of in the middle there. It's but the just, climax of the middle songs. <laughs> yeah, well, we're coming we're coming off the climax of Little Lion Man. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, I think in this song the speaker's in a better place mm -hmm. than he was in Little Lion Man, because in Little Lion Man he was really yeah. beating himself up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one just starts paralyzed and ends with them moving mountains. So Or not moving mountains. Well, I don't know. He's describing her in both times. He's saying, like, you are frozen, and then by the end it's, but you have the ability to move mountains. You right. can, yeah. Yeah, there's a promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it starts frozen and ends with a promise of what you can do, even if your heart is frozen, because you can't lose your substance. There's right. always a way to come back. At the end of the day, you can you can make the right choice. Yes, it's yeah. actually, Father Ryan Adorjan said this recently, that like, uh, that it's possible. It's possible to live without sin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't think you guys believe that. Like, it's possible. It's so possible. And you're well on your way. If you study Mary, you study Joseph, the more you get to know them, the more you're like, it is. 
it is possible. Like, I think we almost think like you know, he must have lived a joyless existence if he didn't have sin. Yeah. On the contrary, <laughs> freedom. It is for freedom that he set us free. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like a Father Tom at the Byzantine parish we've been going to. He keeps talking about how um, monastic life is the standard by which all Christians ought to live. Father Thomas Lay, he's got stuff online, look him up. He does, <laughs> yes. Great stuff, great. If, you're, if you've been interested by our Theology of the Body topics, look up Father Thomas Lay. He's a great, great speaker on Theology of the Body. Um, yeah, sin is the aberration. Yeah. Sin is the deviation from... It's the night. Yeah, from, from what's, you know, true and good and beautiful. That's, yeah. So we, we don't... We don't lose anything by throwing off sin. We actually we gain so much more because we we can even get our innocence back that sin mm -hmm. stole from us. And yet in the garden. This is totally this song does not go into this, but yet to sin, God always brings greater good out of sin. Which is mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. my right line. straight with cricket lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like that Ava Brothers song, right? I can't go back and I don't want to because all my mistakes. Brought me to you. Mm -hmm. We gotta do that, Avid and, and other observations oh, podcast at some point. One at a time, yes. All right, well, closing thoughts, anybody, before we sign off here? I think this is super fun having four people. This was yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like that it's so inclusive. So thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it throws, back, throws me back to my college days. And, oh, yeah. Only more relaxed, because less drama. <laughs> less homework. Less homework. Yeah. Less drama. Tim is so easy on the homework. He like puts he, he does a bunch of stuff, and then he gives it to us, and we can or can't. Like, we can read it if we want to. <laughs> it's all up to us. <laughs> Yes, my, my yoke is yes. easy and my burden light, <laughs> might say. Take it on. Cool. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yes, thank you for putting up with us for the past uh, 45 minutes or so. Cheers. <laughs> it's been great. So, uh, well, until next time. Oh, just, you know, normal things. This is the production of The Flight House. Mm -hmm. Buymeacoffee.com slash The Flight House. Support us. <laughs> Elizabeth is one yeah. of the other founders of The Flight House. Mm -hmm. She also has lots of stuff. ElizabethBernadette.com. Everything will be in the description below. Um, I want to be done talking If you now. want to create cool things like this thing, come to us. We have a whole course to teach you how to do it. That's it's great. Right. That's right. So, anyway, until next time, we are T.S. Russell, Bridget Gamboni, Elizabeth Bernadette, and Claire Fletcher reminding you to sign no more. Hey yo. Hey -o. <laughs> so I was like, should I say it afterwards? Like an echo? <laughs> we can do it again and everybody says it together. All right, all right. Three. Okay. Until next time, we are T.S. Russell, Bridget Gamboni, Elizabeth Bernadette, and Claire Fletcher reminding you to sign, sign no more. more. <laughs> you should just keep involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one more ticket. <laughs>